630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Is it just me or is that Kyle Morris Reed one authoritative newscast? I mean, that guy knows how to deliver the news. That's the kind of voice you want to have your, you know, your alarm go off in the morning and you hear Kyle Morris saying, you better get up. You better get up now. That's some great work by Kyle Morris. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630 Ched. It is a pleasure to have you along for the ride. You can text 63630 some reaction to our interview with uh, Jen Kish who uh, while she's now she is she has the fractured pelvis she is able to walk she's able to work out on her elliptical machine uh, she did recently build a house in Beaumont so she's enjoying that and putting the finishing touches on it and stuff like that and uh, I, Jen also shared with me she has a seventh a seven month old puppy named Wiggles is that not a classic dog name Wiggles the puppy Alan, the mechanic, texting in. He says, uh, Reed, tell Jen, go Druids, go. Alan, I'm sorry I missed that during the interview, but I'm sure Jen's listening. Rob says, damn, Reed, Jen is tougher than most hockey players. Well, she's pretty tough. Uh, Here's the thing. Was that not... I mean, if, of all of all the Olympic sports that are, you know, the ones that you, you only watch every four years, right? I mean, whether it's bobsled or luge or whatever in the winter olympics or uh you know maybe it's you know the volleyball or the judo or whatever in the summer summer olympics well you'll you'll watch them every four years or you'll watch them because because there's a canadian player the rugby sevens after really watching that uh, olympic tournament last year and getting to see the canadian women captained by jen kish win the bronze medal that's the one sport where I'm thinking, like, I need this more than every four years. If I, I mean, I'd love it if there was ever somehow an event in Edmonton that, that Jen could play in. I don't know if that's realistic, but I love the sevens. And if you're not familiar with it or you forgot about that's the one where they play, the tournament takes two days. And they play two or three games in a day. So when they, did, when they played in uh, Langford, B.C., at the end of May, they played their three-round Robin games and then did the quarterfinal, the semifinal, and the final all the next day because the games were, what are they, 14 minutes? They're two seven-minute halves, and then the final is uh, two 10-minute halves, and it's frantic, fast action, obviously seven-on-seven, seven. So, uh, so it's pretty cool. So anyway, it was great to have Jen on the show. Unfortunately, injured again, had the neck injury last year after the Olympics, uh, missed the first World Series event, and now she's going to miss the last one, but hoping to be back by the new year at the latest, and obviously she has her sights set on representing Canada uh, at the Commonwealth Games next year. So, of course, we'll keep following her career and uh, and telling you what's going on with her here on Inside Sports. Game uh, three of the NBA Finals about to get underway. We'll keep you updated. Yankees leading the Red Sox 5-0 in the seventh. Blue Jays won earlier today 7-4 against uh, the Oakland A's. That one was in 10 innings. FC Edmonton in New York tonight facing the Cosmos. They trail 1-0 in the 69th minute. On on this station tomorrow, in this time slot, you will hear Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final, Nashville at Pittsburgh. Pleased to welcome NHL analyst from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Rogers, Kelly Rudy. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Yourself? I'm doing great. Nothing like an off day in Pittsburgh, I guess, eh, buddy? 
<laughs> you know, I was expecting uh, today to just sort of chill and not do anything, and and I got I started feeling guilty around uh, oh I don't know around four o'clock uh, Eastern time. Uh, I had to go to the rink and do a hit today with Nick and David Amber. I got back and I was like, you know what, Kelly, this being lazy thing today got me feeling a little guilty. So I went for a walk, which was kind of cool, Reed, because by Heinz Stadium, the brand new football stadium here in Pittsburgh, uh, there's a big concert tonight, U2, and a whole bunch of my coworkers are going. So I just checked that out for a little bit, and it looked like it was going to be a really fun night for everybody. All right, but you're you're staying home quietly, reading a book or watching game tape. <laughs> well. You know what? If you follow my Twitter tonight, you'll see I will be laying low. It will be quiet, but there might be a nice Italian dinner with some red wine involved. Oh, good. Okay. Well, keep an eye out for that for sure. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. Hey, uh, I was talking with with Morley Scott earlier in the show. Of course, he does the play-by-play for the Eskimos here on Ched. Uh, Three separate uh, scuffles slash fights today in Eskimos training camp. And look, it it happens every year. It, It always does get people's attention whenever it's teammate on teammate and you hope uh, no one's going to get hurt but I, but I mean in the world of pro sports it's it's not that unusual as long as it doesn't get carried away I suppose eh? Absolutely and I think to a certain degree in a lot of cases the guys kind of uh, you know, they don't go at it completely I mean they're, they're skirmishes or maybe like a kind of if you can categorize it as a mild kind of fight, it, it's not full on. It's not like Bob Probert and Marty McSorley going in a re- regular season game or something. But nonetheless, I, you know, there I've been involved in so many of those, or at least witnessed them, that uh, I can't even remember the names of the people involved because it it was so frequent. You know, especially in training camp, you always had some rookie that wanted to sort of make his name. And who, of course, is he going to go after but a tougher guy on a team that's uh, already got a roster spot? And and then oftentimes I I did kind of know you could kind of predict to a certain degree, at least in the game of hockey, when another one might uh, come around. And that would be if you're in a bit of a losing streak, the coach doesn't think you're battling hard enough. So in the practice, he has all these battle drills, you know, one-on-ones maybe in the corner or something. And oftentimes out of those, you get a little skirmish. Okay. Now, now was it, you, you played in the WHL in an era where, you know, you might have had half your team or more of, of the guys who'd be willing to fight. Was was it more likely to happen when you were in the dub or was it like th- throughout your whole NHL career you could see that type of conflict? I would say it was uh, maybe a little bit more in my Western Hockey League career. But, again, I'm not sure if that's, that's uh, just coincidence simply because there was more – in the game at that time. And right. if you were to look now, I mean, I'm at, you're at virtually every Oilers practice. I'm at virtually every Flames practice. And I believe I can only think of one this year uh, involving the Flames. So it's not nearly as prevalent as it used to be, although tempers certainly get flared from time to time. And what you'll notice more, um, and what I know I was involved with more, would be like some pretty good slashing going on. So a guy takes exception exception to a slash that somebody lays on him in practice, or I might not have liked a high shot or or something, or, or maybe some sort of contact, and I'd get back or at least get even in my mind with a pretty hard slash. Okay, I got to ask you about the high shot. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because to me though that's one of the things in hockey that is maybe a little bit contradictory. So I want to get your opinion because. 
I mean, Rob Brown always says, and a lot of offensive guys will say this, in practice, shoot to score. Because, you know, if you're lobbing it in in practice or, 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 you know, trying to hit the post instead of put it inside the post, it can create a bad habit. Uh, and you got to shoot yeah. high often in a game to score. But the other thing is, well, don't hurt your goalie in practice. Don't hit him in the head. Don't obviously hit him in the groin if you can help it. So what, what's, the, what's yeah. the fine line? What's the actual rule? Okay, so there's a, there's a double standard or maybe a triple standard, if you will, when, <laughs> when I think of it. First of all, a guy like when I played with a guy like Mike Bossy or Yari Curry or Gretzky, and they were going top shelf, okay, they earned it, right? I mean, those guys are goal scorers, and most likely they're going to pick their corners. And so I would always allow those guys to do what they needed to do. If you're a fourth-line guy or you've just been called up from the minors and you played 17 NHL games and you're trying to go top shelf, that's not going to cut it for me. I mean, you do that when the backup's in or you do that after practice when there's no goalie. And then once you once you earn your way, then then maybe you then you get some leeway. But you know, to your point and Rob's point about shooting the score in practice, I that's the only way to practice. I, I used to hate it when my guys would come down on me and and just lob some soft little shot in me or at me. It, it doesn't doesn't do me any good. It doesn't do them any good. So I, whenever I notice that sort of creeping into our practice habits, I was quick to remind the guys, you know what, when you have an opportunity to shoot on me. Take it like a game. Pretend that this is, you know, Mike Vernon or Bill Ranford or somebody, and you have to score under these circumstances or might might be an important time of the game. So I was always uh, fully aware of that. Not all goaltenders, I think, feel that way, but I know it certainly helped me prepare. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying there. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. He's covering the Stanley Cup final. He mentioned he's in Pittsburgh. So, okay, so here we go with, with the home teams winning. And, Kelly, I, I, I have to say this because before the series, I actually predicted – that the home team would win every game and then Nashville would win game seven on the road. I'm only half right. Wow. I'm, I'm only half yeah. right, but I'm so, I'm so rarely right. I have to brag about even being half right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, I love it. But, uh, I mean, it, it's an interesting series because, uh, you know, no Johansson, no Rene, you can go, or not no Rene, no Latang. You can go back and forth with teams missing, yeah. uh, missing star players. But, Man, oh man, I know we've talked about this before, and I, and I saw Nashville do it when they played the Oilers in the regular season. When they when they really crank it up, Kelly, and they get after the puck and, and they get pressuring the puck. I mean, sometimes you look at it and like, do they have seven guys on the ice? I mean, they're they can just swarm yeah. the other team. Absolutely, and where it really starts for me, what the most impressive part about their game, and there are lots to like, uh, including their speed, what you talked about, but. When in the offensive zone, how they work as five-man units, that is so impressive. And what I really, really enjoy, although in game two it hurt them, they were a little bit too aggressive to start the third period, and that really hurt them, and they ended up losing that one badly. But what I like is how aggressive they are. And so they get their defensemen, and they always have the green light to pinch because they know their forward is going to be high and covering for them. And I I just love listening to uh, P.K. Subban and how he describes it. And his exact words were how they come slamming down the wall. And that is such fun hockey to watch. They are so aggressive. They keep pucks alive. They like to get pucks deep. And to me, guys like Philip Forsberg are starting to take over the series. 
Uh, he hadn't scored until the empty net goal in this uh, in this round, but you know some of his play. He's so strong. He doesn't look as big as he is. He's six two, and he's really strong on his skates. Protects the puck incredibly well. Reed, you might remember two plays in the third period last game in the offensive zone. In fact, it was behind the Pittsburgh net, and there was a puck battle between he and uh, Justin Schultz. Uh, Forsberg had the puck, and it was the reverse hit. He knocked Schultz over, and then about three minutes later, same spot, and this time is uh, Malkin, and he absolutely leveled him. And to me, that right now is part of the difference. It's about will and determination, and right now the Predators are on top in that department. So, you know, I was going to ask you last week about Subban, and we never got around to it, because John Scott, I think, called him garbage, which I thought was a little... Uh, excessive. I mean, he had fun the other day with uh, the alleged Crosby bad breath comment coming to the rink with <laughs> with Listerine and all that kind of yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, I, I mean, he's uh, he's kind of been one of those figures where I think maybe either you love him or you hate him. Um, what what have, what have you thought of PK? Maybe more as a predator this past season. We won't we won't lump in the whole yeah. Montreal career. Yeah. Well, first of all. Uh, I believe those comments from John Scott were kind of taken out of context, at least out of in terms of relevant, because that was uh, I was told those were made two years ago. So how they were included in that piece, I'm unsure of. Uh, That seemed kind of weird to me. But Mm -hmm. um, so with PK, I I think he's an interesting package. That's for sure. When you think of the the play on the ice. And he loves the attention. And that's not good or bad to me. I don't really care one way or the other. He certainly backs it up. Uh, he, to me, though, at times he has to be a little bit more careful. Um, you, really, when he went after Crosby about the bad breath and all that, I believe it kind of got under Crosby's skin. And so to, no, nobody's surprised. I thought Crosby had his best game in game four and i expect he's going to get better again even game five so maybe not sure you want to go down that road but the good thing is at least pk backs it up you know he doesn't uh, uh he doesn't cower under those situations he stands up for what he believes in and if it's a different world it's a different world i mean i understand that i can accept that players are different today than they were 20 years ago and 20 years ago they're different than they were 40 years ago so in terms of marketing the game and all, all that, uh, I really uh, I really like some of the stuff he does. All right. Well, two or three games left in the series. I'm sure they'll be good regardless of how many there are. Kelly, thanks for checking in tonight, and enjoy your dinner. Thanks, Reed. I'll talk to you soon, bud. Right on. Great stuff with Kelly Rudy, former NHL goaltender. Loved how he described his thoughts on uh, shooting high on a goaltender in uh, in practice and uh, too, ma- too many conflicts with teammates in training camp and practice to, uh, to to remember. It happened with the Eskimos today. You'll hear from Odell Willis on that when we get back. By the way, during that interview, FC Edmonton scored two goals three minutes apart. They now lead the New York Cosmos 2-1 in the 81st minute. They're playing in New York. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Great to have Kelly Rooney on the show. The latest on the Eskimos, of course, on 630 Ched.com. What you need to know today is that you will see a familiar player 
with a different number on Sunday only. Mike Riley will wear number zero. No one's going to wear Larry Highbaugh's number 13 in the preseason game on Sunday. Highbaugh, one of the all-time Eskimo greats, passing away in March at the age of 67, as uh, sometimes happens. Uh, three, I, maybe fights is ex- exaggeration, but definitely uh, skirmishes today at Eskimos training camp with Jason Moss eventually shut down, saying the next guy who do, does that, throws a punch, is out, just like you would be out of a game. We played some Brian Burke comments about the... Uh, arena momentum they're trying to generate in Calgary. Uh, one texter simply saying, Brian Burke is terrible for Calgary. Terrible in all caps. That's why I slightly raised my voice. And uh, Gary the Mailman says, Hey, Reed, do you think Edmonton could have passed Nashville in the West Final had they won against Anaheim? Uh, well, they could have. I, I will tell you this, Gary. I would not have favored the Oilers in a series against against Nashville, to be quite realistic. Obviously, I would have hoped they would have won. It, it would have been fun. I'm sure, Gary, and a lot of you listen to uh, this show and Rob and I talk on uh, face-off shows and overtime open lines, and as we got through the second half of the season, we did not want the Oilers to draw Nashville in the first round. So draw your own conclusions. <laughs> Obviously, it's pretty, it's a pretty easy conclusion to draw about what we thought of the Predators. Look, they got a, they got a good goaltender who I think is playing even better in the playoffs than he did in the regular season. They have four really good defensemen. And they have some depth up front. I mean, even with Johansson out, they've still been able to pressure the puck. Arvidsson finally scored the other night. I think he's a really good player. You know, Fisher works hard. He's got some experience. Forsberg, as as Kelly mentioned, is really starting to drive the play. And I will stand by my prediction. And you know I do that to a fault, because then you all tell me how wrong I was after the fact. Uh, Nashville in seven with the home team winning every game until game seven. So we'll see. We have game five tomorrow on 630 Chad face-off show. Or, or pardon me, don't we just get straight into the game. Face-off at uh, six o'clock. Odell Willis, always a great interview for the Eskimos, talking about the uh, pushing and shoving going on today at Eskimos practice. Guys just got tired. You know, we tired of going to each other, man. I mean, we read the go get Calgary, even though it's a preseason game. We just ready to see something different. But, you know, we good. We family. And it's, it's left out on here to feel. You're not going to hear nothing else about it. You may have maybe one more before camp, but who knows? So, I love that hotel, Willis. Oh, it's all good. We're family. Well, we'll probably have one more fight, of course. Why wouldn't we? Stan Peters at Eskimos, 3.30 pregame show Sunday kickoff at 5. We'll keep you updated on the uh, NBA Finals, and uh, we're going to introduce you to Jason Doucette when we get back. Uh, he's, he's in studio. We've been talking a little bit, he's, and this is a sport I don't know a lot about, so hopefully I'm going to get educated, and you will as well. And it's, it's incredible... Uh, the, how big this this sport has become, even though you may have not heard about it. It's and I know some of you will laugh, and Jason will address that. It's competitive fly fishing. That's where we're going when we get back. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30. Chet. Thanks a lot, Mike. It's 7:33. Thanks so much for tuning in. Been a fun show so far, and the fun will not stop. We have Jason Doucette in studio. Uh, Jason, it's great to finally meet you in person after some uh, emails and phone calls over the last few weeks. You are the president and founder 
Uh, and this this is going to be great because I know virtually nothing about the sport you're going to tell me about tonight. So I, this is going to be informative. Uh, you're the president and founder of the North Central Alberta Fly Fishing League. That's right. Welcome. I, I almost don't know where to begin. So I'll start with this. How in the heck does a fly fishing league operate? Like, do you have standings? Do you fish against other anglers? How does this work? Oh, yes. Yeah. So throughout the summer, spring, summer, fall, we hold uh, league events out at one of the local lakes. And we have anywhere from 10 to 16 people come out and uh, we teach them about competitive fly fishing tactics. And we compete against each other. And yes, at the end of the season, we collect the points and there's a leaderboard going right into October. And we present the trophies and the medals at the end of the year. Okay, so how do you, is it just weight of fish caught, number of fish caught? How do you actually track who's doing well? All right, so it's all catch and release. So we catch a fish, we let them go. It's all about conservation and teaching people about conservation and these fly fishing tactics. But you get 100 points per fish plus 20 points per centimeter. Oh, so it's length. Yes. Okay. So each fish is worth something, but the longer your fish, the more points you get. And then that's tracked throughout a session, which is a three-hour session, and you do two of those a day. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, that's a good explanation. So that makes it pretty clear then how the, the points are awarded. So you, you founded a league. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. That's, that's, that's a lot of work. I mean, I've, I've known guys who have run junior B and midget hockey leagues. It wasn't always easy. How, how did you get into this sport? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who fish, and they're doing it for fun the odd weekend, and they would never do it competitively. Maybe they wouldn't be good enough. How, how did you develop this passion to actually, you know, enter and organize a fly fishing league? Well, first of all, it all starts with fishing. So I come from an outdoors background, right from three years old, fishing, hunting, all of that. Then you fast forward to 2007. I'd been fly fishing probably since about grade seven. Wow, okay. In 2007, this crazy group of people came to Grand Prairie, Alberta, and it was the uh, Canadian... Uh, national fly fishing championships and I said you know what it's that close I'm gonna go and I had a great time and I was doing really well ended up with a uh, top 10 standing and then I was hooked and then the next year one of the one of the major teams that was doing it they said they call me up in the middle of the night and they're like oh we're going to 2008 in, in Mont-Tremblant why don't you come join us and right from then and there I had this team and it was great all right, so there there are people listening now who are probably saying, "Okay, this this is great. He's 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 good at fly fishing. He hangs out with other people that are good at fly. But how is how is this a sport? How can this possibly be competitive? I mean, let let there there. And I know you faced this before because we talked about it briefly. That that will not take this seriously. Uh, what what's your response when you get that reaction? Well, when you see that every country that I know of in the world has, well, I shouldn't say every country, but there are at least 45 countries that field a team at the World Fly Fishing Championships. They're all part of a larger group known as Phipps Moosh. They have this Bible of fly fishing and competitive rules, and there are countries, nuts enough, like Canada, 
to spend, I believe their, their membership fee is about $15,000 a year. They pay into this, and you now are allowed to send a team to the World Championships or to the Commonwealth Championships. So Canada's been involved in this probably since about 2000. And for the first time ever in 2016, we hosted a Commonwealth event, and Canada won the gold medal. Wow. Both okay. on the, uh, both on the <laughs> team. That's incredible. Both on the team side, and they won gold, silver on the individual sides. So this this is a yearly event now. Jason Doucette joining us from the uh, North Central Alberta Fly Fishing League. Okay, well, that's the, the scope of the sport is incredible. I, I had no idea. You were just at Nationals on the weekend. Correct. Or, pardon me, la- last week? I spent the last two weeks in Manitoba. Okay. So we started off with a warm-up event known as the Bug Chucker Cup. It's been going on for five years. That's a great name, by Oh, the it way. is. It's incredible. <laughs> so it's, 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 uh, they invite everybody. It's kind of laid back. Uh, basically, there's there's no stipulations. Just go out and fly fish and catch fish. Um, I was lucky enough. Uh, I, I was pairing up with another guy, uh, Josh Jelena, for the last uh, four years, and we've won it twice. And Josh unfortunately couldn't couldn't go this year, so I took a guy on from Calgary, Mike Briggs, and we ended up winning that with, together. Okay. And then that was sort of our lead into the nationals. And yeah, we spent the last week and a half practicing for nationals. Okay. So sorry. Let me. Let me. Are, are there some events where you have a partner and some where you're solo? Uh, it's it's always. You, well, when you get one of these events, you're ranked individually, okay. but you also put together a team. So okay. we have, for the for the Bug Chucker Cup, you have a team of two. But for any uh, Phipps Moosh, as I said, the uh, style of event, yeah. um, you're looking, you have a team of five. Oh, so wow. okay. my team consisted of three guys from uh, Alberta, two guys locally, and then one guy from Calgary, and then another guy from Ontario who I fished with back in 2008. But as an individual, you got fourth at national. That's right. Okay, so I got to ask. So, I mean, you've talked about the scope of it, how it's very organized. So can the good guys, like, win money doing this, like significant money, where you're like, you go home to your family, like, hey, I got... Maybe you don't want to tell me the but I got ten grand this weekend because okay. I won. Or what, what's going on? So it's it's leading in that direction. So okay. if you go if you go into Europe now, France, Great Britain, Czechoslovakia, and now in the states, uh, there's been multiple attempts to set up a professional uh, league. Okay, and there is money being handed out. So their prizes uh, are around 2,000 pounds if you go to a Sierra Pairs event in in Great Britain. They were offering $5,000 American prizes at different events in the States. So there is money to be made. Competitive fishing, like just backing off from the fly fishing right now, uh, we've got walleye events in Alberta, the Western Walleye Trail, the Southern Alberta Walleye Trail. Uh, Their prizes could be anywhere from $10,000 for a weekend event up to fifty to a hundred thousand. That's for the winner, not that's, the purse. That's not the purse. That's, that's the, just winner. the winner. Yeah, and then Jeez. if you want to take it a step up, you've got the Bass uh, Bas Bass uh, Group down in the states, and the Bassmasters Classic is a million dollar prize for the top for the top angler. It's nuts, and that was actually one of my dreams. And maybe the next step for me is I'm actually looking to get involved with uh, with one of those type of tournaments. Like I've done some of the walleye seen. Uh, I've done some of these money tournaments. Uh, just unfortunately, the fly fishing is is the passion right now, and that's what's taking up all the time. But m- money-wise, fly 
fly fishing's a little less, but there okay. is money to be made in professional But if you're good, fishing. you can augment your income for sure. Oh, absolutely. Sure. And, and you know what? A lot of people will tell you, oh, it's all about luck. But you know what? It's the same guys on the leaderboard, event in and event out. It's all about attention to detail like some of these guys are so meticulous they're checking the sharpness of their hook after three or four casts every time like i got this guy on my team soren he's uh, originally from romania and he's just crazy meticulous on everything that he does and he's taught me to be that way like this guy was winning everything he won the silver medal at the commonwealth in 2016 like i said a, a canadian citizen now yeah um but that's the thing you get together with all of these guys and you're learning all this crazy stuff and and you're learning to be atten- the attention to detail, and you're getting better. Like guys, you're watching them pro- progressively getting better and 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 winning. It's it's cool. Okay, so that's is that, you, you sort of answered part of my next question, but I, but that that was my next question. How do you become? What makes a good angler when it comes to? F- I mean, we, you and I were talking about golf during the commercial, correct? And if you watched one round of golf. It might be hard to identify, but if you watch the full season, you'd be like, well, Dustin Johnson hits it pretty far, or, you know, well, Rory Mack, you know, you'd start to see what separates guys. So what does separate guys in these elite fly fishing events? Okay, knowing, knowing what fish do, where they're at, location, location, location. Okay, so do you pick your spot when you go out in the lake? Absolutely. So you're looking, you're looking at intel. So from your practice sessions, where were the fish? What depth were they at? What habitat were they in? Uh, you know, you're taking, you're looking at bathymetric maps like depth charts, and you're trying to contemplate. Biggest thing for me, wind direction. You want to be on that leeward side of the lake where the waves are crashing up on shore. It doesn't matter if you're walleye fishing, pike fishing, or trout fishing. What we're doing, you want to be, you want to be in those zones where the fish are, and fish are constantly moving. And if you're not in the zones, your catch rate goes down. So okay, but isn't everybody want to be in the same spots? I mean, certainly the everyone, top guys know. Yeah, top guys know, but everyone has their own theory of where the fish are going to be, oh, and okay. sometimes it's hit and miss. So is it ever like get? We were talking about the Eskimos pushing and shoving today. There's a do our guys like? No, I was here first. Well, I'll tell you something. It 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 all depends on the boat partner you get, and sometimes uh, some rival rivalries build up, and uh, you some people get a, a little bit of a bad name for being a boat hog because you're you're actually two competitors get in the same boat. Oh, so you're not in the boat with one of those f- four teammates that you have. No, you go. Uh, you, you, you get assigned. You get assigned a guy from another team, and I'll tell you something, it, it can be de- detrimental or glorious depending on who you get, because if you get a bad boat partner, you're hooped. You're absolutely So hooped. who decides the spot then? Uh, so at the beginning of the comp, you've got 60 guys, yeah. and you draw them into five groups. Okay. So 60 divided by five, you get 12 guys in a group, and those, those 12 guys will fish against each other at each of the venues. And then they will get a spot. It's kind of like golf. So if you get first place, you get one point. You get second place, you get two. So when you go throughout these competitions, you usually have five venues. Yeah. You want to come in first every time so that at the end of the, at the, end of the whole event, you've got five placing so low, points. Lower score wins. Lowest score wins. If it comes down to a tie, now the fish points come into play. Okay, so, but, so you and I are in a boat. And what if I say, all right, Jason, uh, we're, going, uh, we're going to the west side of the lake. And you're like that. That this guy does not know where the fish are going. I think we should be in the middle. What? How, how does that get resolved? Well, uh, 
if you, if you don't choke the guy out. No, oh, just geez. doesn't get like that. It doesn't get like that. But what what happens is there's two there's two ways you can go about it. The rules state that at the beginning of the session you flip a coin, and the boat partner who wins the coin toss will get his choice of whether he wants to control the boat at the start of the session or for the last oh, 90 I minutes. See. So it's like the, you want the ball in the first or second half. Exactly. Right, okay. But there's another way to do it. You, the, two, the two partners can confer and work together throughout the whole thing as a team because most guys think about it this way. When you get into a boat with somebody, you want to be one and two. You want to win that session. You want to come in first and second, the two of you. That's the that's oh, the mentality okay. you have to go in when you when you fish with a guy in a Even boat. Even though he's not your teammate, Absolutely. you still got to think we're kind of in this together. It's a little different when you fish a river because then you're flipping the coin and deciding which section of the river you get first because they give you 100 meters of river with a partner uh, from another team. Okay. And then, you know, is it always in a river or is it sometimes in a lake? Uh, most competitions will be split up. Three three venues in a river, two in a lake, or okay. four in one. It, it varies depending on what's available. Manitoba was five lakes for five sessions because oh, really? there's, there's no trout, grayling, whitefish. That's what we usually fish for. There's nothing like that in any flowing water in Manitoba. It's just spectacular spectacular trout fishing in the lakes they've got there. Uh, Rob texting in, he says, I tried fly fishing, all I caught were mosquitoes. You ever have one of those days? Uh, they do happen, especially on a day like today. Like the, the temperature goes 30 and the trout dive like to 30 feet and they become so lethargic. Oh. And if you do catch one anyway, you probably end up killing it because they just can't handle. Warm water means low oxygen. Oh. So they struggle. So we don't even bother fishing. So in terms of conservation, we don't even look at fishing at that during warm water. So. Jason Doucette in studio from the North Central Alberta Fly Fishing League. He uh, he founded the league a few years ago. We're going to spend a few more minutes with him on Inside Sports on 630 Chad. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chet. 43-40, Golden State leading Cleveland two and a half minutes into the second quarter. Game three of the NBA Finals. The Warriors up two games to nothing. FC Edmonton, big away victory tonight, 4-2 over the mighty New York Cosmos. Four goals in the last... uh, what, 22 minutes of the match for FC Edmonton to pull that out. The Blue Jays won earlier today in 10 innings, 7-4 over the A's. Former U of A Golden Bear hockey player Chris Knobloch, who'd been the coach of the Erie Otters for the last few seasons, now the uh, assistant coach for the Philadelphia Flyers. He was hired today. My name, Reed, uh, my name is Reed Wilkins. Jason Doucette is in studio from the uh, North Central Alberta Fly Fishing League. You're the president and founder. Uh, by the way, Jason, thanks for using Inside Sports at 630ched.com to get in touch with me and uh, let me know about your league. Well, I appreciate that. I got to let you know that this all came about from a show you did uh, probably about four months ago. I was just blown away. It was an award-winning show, and I thought you would be the guy to help us out. So the show that I, I that caught my attention was you did a, a, a segment with a Wimbledon grass tech, and just the questions you asked, it was so well-scripted, and it was just so outside of the box that blew my mind and I gotta let you know that I've been a big fan of the show for 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 a long time but when you did when you did that segment I was blown away 
like I said, award-winning. And I and again, I just reached out because I, I knew you might be the guy to help us out to sort of grow grow our consumer base here with with people taking part in our in our events. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, that well, I mean, he's the head groundskeeper at Wimbledon, and he's from Alberta, so it's like it's an incredible story. Over the top for me. All right, so Jason, uh, you were just at nationals. Uh, what you got something else coming up this weekend? What's going on? So yeah, we're doing our local event. Um, which is uh, sanctioned by Fly Fishing Canada. Uh, so we have uh, room for 16 people to join us. Uh, we get out and we do what's called a lock-style event. Uh, so we get out in the boats and uh, we do some fly fishing. I'll give a little bit of seminar to people to uh, sort of get them in and uh, teach them about uh, competitive fly fishing tactics. Um, so this is happening on Saturday, 8, 8 a.m. out at Spring Lake okay. uh, because we have a, uh, a, a relationship with the Edmonton Trout Club who's been around since 1955 at, the, uh, at Spring Lake. And they thankfully let us use their uh, venue for a few months out of the year while we uh, do some events there. Okay. Uh, how can people, do you, have, do you have a website or how do people go read more? Are you on Facebook? Yeah, we're on Facebook. Uh, so at just North, North Central Alberta North Central Fly Alberta Fly Fishing. Join up. Uh, we put out uh, an announcement once a month during spring, summer, and fall that we uh, have the monthly event. And then our big event for, for our group, we put on the Alberta Stillwater Championship, mm -hmm. which is also sponsored by uh, Fly Fishing Canada. So why would you encourage someone to get involved if they're on the fence? Uh, if they're on the fence, because I've watched some good anglers become great anglers. The amount of sharing of information, uh, while competition isn't for everybody, you can learn so much and apply it to everyday angling. Mm -hmm. The other side of it is our conservation. I'm very much into the conservation, uh, conservation of wetlands, grasslands, and we use the league uh, to educate and sort of uh, lobby against uh, developments in places where there shouldn't be. Uh, I'm I'm a big wild fish and wildlife guy, and uh, we the, the league sort of gives us that ability to have a little more clout when we when we talk to the provincial government or talk to the city of Edmonton about certain developments that probably shouldn't go ahead. Okay. We, we only got a couple minutes, less than a couple minutes left, but you brought in your flies. You got a couple dozen in there. Oh, no. There's probably about 70. Oh, oh we got some on the other <laughs> They're side, too. They're all clumped up in They're there, all, yeah. Okay, so just quickly, you got different sizes and different colors. Yes. How do you know when to use what? Okay, typically uh, for any type of fishing, bright colors on bright days, dark colors on dark days. Uh, if there's a hatch of insects or a certain type of, uh, say, a minnow that pattern or a minnow that's in the area, uh, when minnows spawn, uh, they they group up in large quantities and the fish key in on them. So you're trying to call what's match the hatch, you know? It's, okay. Yeah, so you're trying to get a fly that's somewhat similar to what's going on, whether it's a bug, a leech, minnow, anything like that. So gets, another thing you get yeah. more experience with. Okay. Exactly. Uh, i got to read this text. Nick from Pigeon Lake, he says, can you ask Jason where his favorite lake is to fish in either Alberta or Canada? I don't know if you want to pick one, but... Uh, if I'm not going to give any names of lakes, but I would say... <laughs> Go to the parklands in Manitoba, Roblin Russell area. They have some of the, the the best trout fishing in the world. It's a 10 hour drive from here. Gotta go. You, okay. you just gotta go. I mentioned that Bug Chucker Cup. It happens every at the end of May every year, and there's lots of openings for teams. Uh, it's an incredible way to experience the what's called the parklands and all the lakes out there. Yeah. Amazing fishing. 
Jason, thanks so much for coming in. Appreciate the time. Again, check out Jason on uh, Facebook with the North Central Alberta Fly Fishing League and find out more about their event this weekend. Fascinating segment, and congratulations on finishing fourth at Nationals. Also tonight, you heard from Mike Riley, Morley Scott, Jen Kish, Kelly Rudy. Kellen Kennedy has been the studio producer. Dave Campbell is the producer of the show. Tomorrow in this time slot, Game 5, Penguins Predators. They face off at 6. My name is Reed Wilkins. Charles Adler tonight is next. Thank you for listening. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.